I don't know if any of you um, had a hard time getting up this morning and deciding to show up to church. Maybe you're going through some uh, difficult times, and you thought, you know, if I'll just, I'll just get dressed and show up and see what happens. That's kind of why I'm here this morning. As you know, I've been going through difficult health issues the last three months, not knowing what's going to happen from hour to hour. Figured I'd just show up and see what happens. God's grace is with us. God is with us. And sometimes you just need to show up. I know a lot of things in life can be difficult and hard, but sometimes we just got to show up and see what happens. I know there's a lot of suffering in this congregation, and there's a lot of suffering in the world, so before we get in God's Word this morning, I think it's appropriate that we pray. So if you bow your heads, let's pray together. Lord, we know that it's been quite the week as we've seen children gassed in Syria, many killed in Sudan. Palm Sunday this day, there's two churches bombed in Egypt, Christians killed. And we know that there are ongoing shootings and killings in our own city, and not to mention the issues that we have in our own lives. Sometimes we don't want to show up, God. We just want to quit. But we're going to have a crowd to you right now for mercy. Mercy in Syria, Sudan. Mercy in Egypt. Mercy in Chicago. Mercy in our own lives. Please be with us. And Lord, the words that help me show up from you are the words, I am with you. And that's all I know. And may you speak this morning to those in here who are suffering. Let them know that you're with them. And that's all they need to know. And God, we just ask that you'd move in a powerful way this morning, in a way we do not expect through your word. And we come in here just showing up. But may you blow us away. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I once read an interesting book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. How I Learned to Live a Better Story. Perhaps you've read it by Donald Miller. He starts the book off this way. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, all right? You ready for this? Perhaps you watched a movie, and here's the movie. You watch the movie, and it's about a guy who buys a Volvo. All right? He buys a Volvo, gets in it, drives it off the lot, and tests the windshield wipers. The end. Isn't that an awesome movie? Wouldn't it be the greatest movie you've ever seen as you like go and, and tweet about it and go, man, I just saw this awesome movie about this guy. He bought this Volvo and he, he tried out the windshield wiper. It was awesome. No, you wouldn't tweet about that. You wouldn't be impressed with that movie. You think that's an awful, awful movie. Nobody is moved by a movie about a guy who buys a Volvo. Yet many of us spend our lives living these kind of stories. We live these stories over and over and over again, and we have this expectation that our lives should feel meaningful. Miller says this, the truth is, 
if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. I'm going to read that again. If what, the truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. Let's say I never met you, and someone told me your story. Would it be a meaningful story? Would it be beautiful? Would it have purpose? It doesn't have to be dramatic and big and be on the news and things like that, but is your life meaningful so much so that if someone told me your story, I would go, you know, that's really cool. That is a beautiful, beautiful story. But if not, perhaps you need to change your story. Which is another way of saying, perhaps you need to change your life. Well, today we're going to look at a meaningful and beautiful story. And hopefully it will encourage you to start living a meaningful and beautiful story. Go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew. I know, we're out of Revelation Trust me, be glad. If you see, someone asked me this morning for preaching on the prostitute next week and out of Revelation for Easter Sunday. Maybe. Bring all your friends. I figured we break for Palm Sunday and Easter. Why not? Let's go to Matthew. We're now entering the Passion Week of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word passion... As Greek and Latin origins, uh, it's a reference to the events involving the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're in the Passion Week, leading up to Good Friday uh, on Friday. I hope to see you here for that. And over the next several days, we will have the Passion of Christ. As Jesus is headed to the cross, this morning, we're going to look at three stories. One is a story of entrapment. And there is another story of betrayal. And in the middle of these two stories is what we're going to call a beautiful story. All right? Three stories this morning. Entrapment. Another one is betrayal. And in the middle of these two stories is a beautiful story. And the beautiful story is of a woman who worships Jesus extravagantly. And her story is so beautiful and meaningful that what she has done will be told throughout time and accompany the preaching of the gospel. Can I, can I show something to you real quick before we even get to these stories? Look at verse 13. I said we're in Matthew 26. Can you look at verse 13? Verse 13 says, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow, her actions were, were meaningful and beautiful that Jesus says that her story will be told throughout time. And here we are this morning, about 2,000 years later, telling her story. That is a great story. But before we get to that beautiful story, we have a story of entrapment and betrayal. Let us set the scene and go to Matthew 26, find out what's going on. Matthew 26, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know 
that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The context is set during the Passover, which is coming in two days, starting at sundown on Thursday. And Passover was a celebration of the deliverance out of Egypt. As the Passover approaches, Jesus predicts what is going to happen to him even before we know the details of the plot to take him out, which proves to us that Jesus knows that his suffering and death are known to him, does not catch him off guard, does not surprise him. That's the context. The Passover is coming. Jesus says, it's coming. I'm going to be killed. Now the story of entrapment. Look at verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. The plot unfolds. The religious leaders are gathered in a huddle, plotting and conspiring against Jesus. You see in verse 4, they're trying to arrest him by stealth. They may be thinking of some legal and tricky maneuver to bring him down. The group is planning to eliminate Jesus through the plot of a secret arrest, which would eventually lead to his death. But they have to be careful. The pilgrims are there for Jerusalem, ready for the Passover. And often during the Passover, the messianic expectations are high for a deliverer to come and take the Israelites out of the bondage of Rome. And many of those pilgrims are wondering, maybe Jesus is the guy. He's the one that's going to deliver us out of the oppression of Rome. So these leaders are like, we got to find a sneaky way to arrest him and figure out how to take him out. We'll just go ahead and wait till the Passover is over. We'll go ahead and wait till the feast is over. Did you notice a contradiction there? Jesus said, uh-uh, two days, it's all going down. I want to be arrested, then I want to be killed. And these guys are saying, let's wait till the Passover is over. Let's wait till the feast is done. Which one is it? Well, of course, Jesus knows what's going to happen. And to the religious leader's surprise, an occasion has just arisen to take Jesus out. And now we move from the story of entrapment to betrayal and enter Judas. Jump down to verse 14. Go ahead and skip a little bit. Remember I told you two stories on the end, one in the middle. Jump down to verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas is the perfect player that, that fit into this story of the downfall of Jesus. He's on the inner circle of the disciples. Uh, maybe he is kind of, his expectations of Jesus being the deliverer is not coming to fruition. He doesn't see them coming out from the, the thumb of Rome. He, maybe he has a lot of questions about Jesus. And so maybe his motivation is that he wants to stop this whole Jesus stuff right now. But maybe his motivation is just straight up greed. I mean, did you know that he was the treasurer? He was in charge of the money, of Jesus' itinerant ministry. He was in charge of the money. And you know what he would do? He would help himself from time to time to that money. So here's an opportunity for Judas to make some money. 
30 pieces of silver if he can bring down Jesus. So in his mind, he's probably thinking, this is going to be awesome. I can bring down Jesus, and I can cash in at the same time. We have a story of entrapment, and we have a story of betrayal. And guess what? These two stories have been told down through the ages, and you know those stories right now. Can you believe this, that these religious leaders who study the word of God, who were waiting for the Messiah to come, totally missed it, and they wanted to arrest and kill Jesus. And on the other hand is Judas, who has seen the miracles, he's seen Jesus' perfect life, and yet he betrays him to cash in. And we are still telling their stories today. Sticking with the theme of stories, let me tell you something else that Miller has said. i put this quote up for you. It says, The ambitions we have will become the stories we live. You see that? The ambitions we have will become the stories we live. Think about the leaders. They had ambitions of power and authority, while Judas had ambitions of greed. Miller was examining his heart uh, one year when he was going through some of his business receipts. You know, it's tax time, by the way. Uh, he was going through his, his receipts to find out what he could do as write-offs. And he, as he was going through his receipts and what the things he had purchased, he, he realized that the stuff he spent money on indicated his ambitions and the stories he was living. He found a receipt for um, a fancy vacuum cleaner that he never used. He bought a new truck. He moved from a dumpy house to a really nice condo. He said that his purchases were the sum of his ambitions, and they weren't very good stories. Your life speaks volumes about your ambitions and what's important to you. And many of you are flat out not living very good stories. It starts out with buying a Volvo. And then you buy a fancy new gadget. And then you go on the vacation of the trip of a lifetime. And then you live it up in retirement. And the credits roll and you are dead. And you wonder, what was the point of that? What was the story of, of my life? What I'm trying to get you to see, and I know many of you are young right now, is that if you, your ambitions don't make a beautiful story, then the chances are it doesn't make a beautiful life. And, and you're, you're really not going to see this. I, but I want you to really keep thinking through this. What would your story sound like if someone told it to someone else? I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not saying you have to go off and, and save the world. No, I'm not trying to be dramatic. But just think about your story, how it would sound to someone else. Yeah, he, yeah, he, went, in, he went in on Friday. He got a brand new iPhone that's so awesome. Just think about that. Think about what we're hearing about your life. I think you and I would both agree that we need a better story. We need a better story. 
So in contrast to these stories of entrapment and betrayal, we have a beautiful story right in the middle. Here's the encouraging part. A beautiful story of this woman anointing Jesus. Look at verse 6. Finally, we come to something positive. Here we go. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, let's just stop there. I mean, what a name. Simon the leper. I mean, there's no way he still has leprosy. He lives in the city and people are over at his house. You're not going to go over to Simon the leper's house. He's probably healed by Jesus. Jesus healed him. Jesus is not ashamed to be around him. He's in the house of Simon the leper. Verse 7. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. From the account, similar account in John 12, this is probably Mary. Remember Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus? Now, it's common. This may seem weird, but it's common if you come into someone's home uh, for a meal. When you invite them in, you put some, you put some oil on their head. And just a little bit, just a little bit. It smells festive. It's a great kind of party atmosphere, and the aroma would fill the room, and it would smell great. But let's just admit it. This is a little over the top. Mary does more than just dab a bit on Jesus' head. She breaks it open. She's like, she pours the whole thing on. And I want you to know, this is not the cheap stuff that you buy for your kids at the dollar store that stinks up your entire house. Do not let your kids play with perfume. It's not the cheap stuff. This is the, more like the family, family heirloom perfume that's passed down from generation to generation. And we know from another passage that it was worth about 300 denarii, which is about a year's worth of salary. Comes in, year's worth of salary, dumped it on Jesus. What is she doing? I mean, really, what is she thinking? I'd like to know, Mary, what are you thinking? I mean, maybe she's excited that Jesus, the Messiah, is the king. He's now come. He's the anointed one in the Old Testament, and she's anointed. There's no way she's thinking through that theologically, by the way. Maybe she's excited that Jesus rose, uh, raised her brother from the dead, and she's just dumping it on Jesus. Maybe she's thinking, oh, Jesus is about to ki- be killed, and so I'm going to anoint his body for burial. I, I still don't think that's as developed, and we talk, we'll talk about that later. I, I don't think Mary is really thinking all these grand messianic theological thoughts at this moment. I'm thinking for Mary, what's going on with her is that, you know, she loves Jesus. She wants to honor him. She has a heart that realizes that he is the son of God. He is the resurrection and the life. And this is kind of extravagant, over-the-top, sacrificial love for Jesus, where she takes probably a family heirloom and just dumps the whole thing on him. It is devotion to Christ. She doesn't care about the cost. She exalts Jesus as more valuable than all. It's over-the-top extravagant worship. Now, the disciples, they are not cool with this. They think this is an absolute waste. Look at verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and and given to the poor. That's right. It's true. And you've got to be kind of sensitive to the the, um, disciples. They're coming off Matthew 25. Matthew 25, story about the sheep and the goats. 
and, and they're, they're coming off that story for judgment for those who care, who fail to care for the poor and suffering. So they are indignant and irate that this woman would waste this amount of perfume, which could be sold and given to the poor. And the disciples are right. I, I, can, I, I can go with them. It's a terrible, terrible waste, waste, waste. All right, Jesus, what do you think? You just got dumped with all this uh, perfume. What do you think, Jesus? Is this a, is this a good idea? Uh, how do you view the extravagance? Verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? Now, now get ready, get ready. For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Circle, underline, highlight. The verdict is that what the woman has done is, you see there, beautiful. Jesus doesn't push back at her worship and extravagance, but receives it. He takes her devotion and sacrificial extravagance, and you see it again, he calls it beautiful. When we talk about living beautiful stories, this is a beautiful example. This is a beautiful story. You may ask, well, what makes a beautiful story? The quote I'm about to show you is money. You might want to write this down. It's by John Piper. It's so good, I'm going to read it two times. Let me put it up for you. John Piper says, it's beautiful when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. I'll read it again. Piper says, it's beautiful when the worth of of Jesus and the love of his followers match when the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. Let it sink in. You see, what makes a beautiful story, what makes a beautiful life is when our desires and actions are appropriately lined with the worth and the value of Jesus. It's where our extravagance and sacrifices make sense in the light of the value of Jesus. See, our stories are highlighting the value of Jesus. We, we want to understand his love for us. We want to know what he's done for us on the cross. We want to know his forgiveness and grace. And as we take these steps of extravagant worship, they highlight the value of Jesus. Now do you see stories about the Volvo, the gadgets, the accolades, the trips? They don't often highlight the value of Jesus. The stories of extravagant and over-the-top sacrifices highlight the value and the beauty of Christ. Now, disciples, they have a lot to learn, and they're still not getting it. Look what Jesus says in verse 11 and 12. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this anointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my burial. <laughs> Jesus is not dissing the poor, but right now he says it's not about the poor. You always have them. You care for them. Yes, it's about me. I'm about to be killed. I'm about to lay down my life. And she's anointing me for burial. You know, they would anoint people who were dead back then with perfume to temporarily cover up the smell, but they wouldn't do that for criminals. Jesus is going to be crucified as a criminal. And so, boom, he's been anointing him with oil. It's over-the-top, sacrificial worship, pointing to his cross and burial. And she's highlighting Jesus. And then he says in verse 13, Truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
What's the gospel? What's the gospel? Oh, that, of course, that we are separated from a holy God, right? We've, we've fallen. We can't get to God. And Jesus came down. The good news is he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And the good news, good news gospel is that we turn from our sins, put our faith in Jesus, and we're reconciled by grace through faith. That's the good news. And we are told as the gospel is proclaimed, this story that highlights the worth and the value and the sacrifice of Jesus will also be proclaimed. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still telling the gospel story and this story. Because her story is really not about her. It highlights the worth and the value of Jesus, especially in his death. And her example is to be emulated by Christians throughout time to live stories, how about this, to live stories that highlight the worth and the value of Jesus, to live lives of faith that are filled with this extravagance, this sacrificial extravagance focusing on Christ. And this is the woman's beautiful story in life. What's yours? I mean, how do you live a beautiful story? How do you live a beautiful life? Like if I started telling your story to someone else and you, you, may, you may stop and go, you know what? I really don't like my story. My story is about shopping, video games, wasting time. I don't like that story. That is a boring story. So how do you change your story? I'm about to do something I, I, I rarely, rarely, rarely do. I'm going to tell you how to change your story. I rarely ever give points of, hey, go do this, do that. I just trust that when I preach God's word, he's cutting your heart and you're, you're broken and you want to change. And by God's grace and community, he's showing you. I don't feel like I have to lay stuff out for you all the time. But this morning, I'm going to. So if you want a how-to, how to change your life to start living a beautiful story, here you go at this rare moment. Don't waste this moment. Are you ready? Number one, daily estimate the worth and value of Jesus. Daily estimate the worth and value of Jesus. <laughs> it is amazing how daily we forget what's important. Daily we forget about Christ. I mean, it's like we leak. But if you want your story to be changed, you've got to daily Estimate the value and worth of Jesus. Now, I think it's important to acknowledge some of our struggles that we may have where we're not daily estimating the worth of Jesus. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you straight up. One of the struggles I have where I create alternative stories, where when if, I'm not, if I'm not valuing Christ and the story of his life, I create alternative stories. And one of the alternative stories that I struggle with is I, I, I create an alternative story of financial security. Does anybody have these fantasies of financial security? Yeah. It's like, oh, if I could just be financially secure. Oh, I gotta be, I gotta be secure. And my, my son asked me, he said, said Dad, um, how much do you think about finances? And I'm like, too much. And if I, but if I if I'm in the word, I'm like, oh, oh, 
I don't need to worry about that stuff. I need to be responsible and everything, but I don't need to worry about that. I know, I know what we talk about. You've got to have a safety net. You've got to have a safety net, right? And I read the Bible, I'm like, oh, Jesus, he's my safety net. Do you see how this works? If you're not daily valuing the worth of Jesus, you're going to be worried and, anxiety, and filled with anxiety about money and security. And yet we see when we value him, oh, he's a security. He's our safety net. And you're like, well, how do you do that? How do you daily value um, the worth of, of Jesus? Well, it's, it's nothing new. It really is nothing new. And this is where you're like, oh, just tell me something that's nothing new. You just get in the Word. You just pray. You get in the Word, and you pray. You get in the Word, and you pray, and you do that daily. And you know what? Praise God you're here right now, and you're hearing this right now. And in your mind, you agree, but you will leak the gospel will just come out of you. Ah! So you got to wake up tomorrow. Oh, value the worth of Christ again. Got to have a better story that highlights Christ. Now, the second one's going to be a lot harder, but it's a how-to. So here's the second one, all right? Here's, here we go. Start, start to live beautiful stories that highlight the worth of Jesus. I'm going to just spell this out for you. You start to live with over-the-top and sacrificial extravagance. I want to tell you right now that none of your efforts will be wasted. None of them. None of your time, money, talents, and energy spent highlighting the value and worth of Jesus will ever be considered wasted. But you've got to start doing something. You've got to start doing something. Something. Once again, Piper says this. He says, if any voice, if any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, do not listen. Let your affections for Jesus be lavish. <laughs> you ever have people say, calm down, moderate that stuff. No. Let your affections for Jesus be lavish. Let your love for others be sacrificial and over the top because you value Christ, giving away your time and your money because you value Christ. Let it be extravagant and over the top. All right, now you're like, okay, what does that look like? Okay, I've seen some of your lives, and I'd like to tell your stories. There's a lot of stories in here that I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by. It is not tempered. It is over the top. There's no restraint. You're going all out for Christ. But I, I'd figure I'd just tell two stories from this past week from this congregation. Two stories that I think are beautiful stories. One has to do with a couple in our church. There's a couple in our church. I'm not going to say their names. You know who they are. They've adopted two young children. Now, for those of you who don't know about adoption, there's a lot of drama and trauma that can be associated with the whole process. And then, yeah, I'm not going to get into all that. But just, just know that in raising two young kids, their life is crazy. You know, you've got two young kids, it's a crazy life. Now, they have an opportunity recently, as in this past Thursday, to, once again, not going to tell the whole story, they had an opportunity to bring in another child into their, their life from the foster care system. Now, if you're raising two young kids, you're dealing with drama and trauma, just raising young kids, and you get a call, hey, would you like a third? Sure, we'll take a third. 
And that's a beautiful story. And people might say, ah, just, ah, you already have two, not another one. No, just tamper down. Just moderate. No. And these two love Christ. And is it easy? No. Not at all. Go visit. Second story I want to tell is this. And it's more corporate. This past week I watched a video. And the video was from our church plant down in Gainesville, Florida. We sent them out, I think 2014. And when we're watching the video, it's like a vision video. And I see people that were on this stage standing right here that we sent down there. And now I see them on this video and there's tons of other people. And maybe some of you were thinking back in 2013, 14, when we were sending these people out, like, oh, why are you sending out your best? And why are you giving them money? Don't you want your church to grow? No, no, just give them away. I just want to give away an extravagant, over-the-top, just give away. We want to give away our best. I mean, if you're still left behind, you're not part of our best. We only give away our best. <laughs> give away our best. And here we're going to be, right? Three, four weeks from right now, you'll see on this stage people that we're giving away for our fourth church plant in North Park. And when you see those people up there, you will think, I cannot believe they're going, and I cannot believe you're giving them away. Long-time members in the church. Why would we do that? We value Christ. It's extravagant. It's over the top. It's not moderating. Yeah, go, go. Because we love Christ. That's a beautiful story, and you're part of it. I remember this is some how-to stuff going on here. So here's the last, here's the last how-to. This is the one that you may struggle with the most. Surround yourself with people who are living good stories. Once again, Miller says this. He says, you become like the people you interact with, and if your friends are living boring stories, you probably will too. Now, I'm not calling you to diss your friends, but if you think about your friends, and if their stories are pretty boring, I don't diss them, but add some other friends to your life. People who are just taking some risks, who are not moderating their love. And I believe you can find some of these friends in, in ethos communities because in our ethos communities, kind of like our small groups, we get around each other and we're like, hey, let's go for it. Let's do stuff. And we see them doing stuff. We're like, oh, I want to do some of that stuff. The, the way I envision it is like at school or at work, and it, maybe some of you are from these environments where you're trying to create new products or new ideas for uh, your school or for customers, and there's this group think, and it's awesome, and it's, a, it's an encouraging thing. I, I kind of see our ethos communities like that. Uh, my ethos community, now, by the way, I'm a pastor in an ethos community, so that's always kind of weird for everybody else. Uh, so I just kind of keep my mouth shut and just watch and see what happens. But our ethos communities, they're getting it done. They're like, hey, let's find ways to to care for refugees. Let's find ways to care for vulnerable children. Let, and that's That's great. That's what we want. That's what put yourself around people who are trying to live beautiful stories and they will, will rub off on you, highlighting the worth of Jesus. So here's your chance. It's Passion Week. Focus on Christ. During this week, 
over the next few days leading up to Good Friday and then up to Easter, people that know you, will they know this part of your life, the Jesus part? Or will that be something that you'll conceal? I guess during the most important week we celebrate over the, over the, the calendar, Christian calendar, are they going to know that you're a Jesus follower and that this week is significant? Do not conceal your story this week. This is the week to tell people your story. This is the week to talk about the crucifixion. This is the week you can bring people to church. Do not conceal that part of your story. That is the most beautiful part. My brothers and sisters, we want to be people who live beautiful stories because we want to be people who are caught up in the life and the beauty and the value of Christ. Let's pray. Father, the most beautiful story ever is centered on your son Jesus, who you gave for our sins. And Lord, we just ask that you would do something significant in our lives. And if we need to take risks and steps of faith, may we do that. May we not be content with these stories that are all about our purchases or all about our travels or all about our entertainment. May we branch out and see that you've called us to live a beautiful story focused on Christ, valuing him, not tempering our love, not moderating it, but living sacrificial for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.